Hello, and welcome to Stacia Adjacent, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Twyford, and joined as always by my friend, my co-host, Stu Lennon. Hey, Stu, how's Cyprus today? It's absolutely fantastic, Justin. All the better for speaking to you, I have to say. How are things in Canada? Are you cold? We're cold. You know what I had to do this week, Stu? No. I had to go and buy a snowblower. <gasps> snowblower. Have you ever seen one of these things? Not, well, I'm sure I have, but I, I've never been sort of closely acquainted with one. Mm. It looks like something, do you remember that? I think it was a 90s sci-fi show, The Lawnmower Man. At the end of it, there was this big, nasty CGI lawnmower that was coming and eating people up. And it looks something like that. It is big. It is complicated. The version I have, because, well, let's face it, I do things my way. It has LED headlights, heated grips. It's got like seven or eight different hand controls that you have to use at the same time. That's weird. I'm sure people are, are laughing at me going, huh, yeah, this is normal. Get used to winter. I have never used one of these. Buying them is the easy part. Mm. Figuring out how to actually use this thing. There's a turret that moves and ejects snow and different heights and levels. You sure you haven't bought a tank? Oh, it, it feels like it. And the size of this thing, trying to get in the back of my truck. Oh my gosh, it felt like a tank. Crazy. Oh, wow. Well, it's another gadget. I'm thinking your problems with Cypress's uh, heat are, are pretty good at this point. I'll trade you. Uh, well, I can, you know, in fairness, we do have snow up the mountain. Uh, I don't think we have any yet, but there, there will be some coming at some point. But yeah, if we get any snow here, it's just literally, it's a dusting. And I, I go, oh, yes, that looks a bit cold and stay in for a couple of days. But um, no, I, I have some experience. I, I lived for a ski season in Maribel, in the three valleys, Les Trois Valleys, uh, the French Alps. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, I, um, that was you know the start of my foreign exchange career. I started in Paris, and then they said, will you go to the Alps for a season? Um, and I went, um, all right then. Um, and so if you insist, yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a two person job. So we needed two people and the other, the other cashier, uh, was my girlfriend at the time. So, I mean, fantastic. We had a chalet laid on by the company, little bureau de change. We would, we'd open it up in the morning. Um, and essentially we were just cashing checks for British people. <laughs> That's pretty much all we did. Um, and then we would shut up and go skiing. And then we would come that come back sort of at the end of the skiing day and open up for a couple more hours, cash some more checks for some British people, uh, and then go and see all the same British people in the pub. That that was my life. It was fantastic. And then from there, it got, it got really bad. They said, uh, they said, well, Stuart, um, we need you to go down to the Côte d'Azur. Go and live in Nice, eh? Okay. All right, then. Yeah, you were hard done by it, that job, I take it. Ah, uh, yeah, that, that was a great job, I was young and foolish and just going to all sorts of wonderful places. A great way to start. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Boy, it seems somewhat anticlimactic now, doesn't it? <laughs> Work from home. Yeah, you know, I mean, we risk running into sort of grumpy old man territory, but yeah, I'm, I'm okay not traveling too much at the moment. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? I'm not missing that enormously. Don't get me wrong, I'd like to go and see family and friends and yeah, I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to get back into that getting on a plane every week thing that I did for a long time. That's just, no, that's in the past. Eh? Yeah, it was funny. I, I remember 2001, uh, particularly in North America, that really changed how we travel here. Mm. And certainly I, I look at, you know, 2020, 2021, maybe up to 2023, who knows how this thing's going. But I look at this as another moment where air travel will always be redefined in not necessarily a good way. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I remember the first time they took away my shoes. I was uh, stranded at Salt Lake Airport uh, and somebody sat me down and took my shoes away to a back room to x-ray them or to do whatever they did with them. Mm. Uh, and I was just sitting there having no idea what was, am I ever getting my shoes back? As a guy took them away, like they were a bomb. I, it was the weirdest, weirdest feeling. This was shortly after, uh, 9-11. will be another thing. I think we'll be living in our masks for air travel for a long time. Yeah, I'm guessing you're right. And you know, I suppose 
as things go, it's a small price to pay. But if you're if you're lucky enough to sort of be in our position, yeah, it, it's another factor when considering stuff. You know, <laughs> will you come and speak at this conference? Mm, no. On balance, no. But uh, there you go. Perhaps it'll all change. Perhaps we'll all get back into the the run of it. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait, Stu. Uh, so, uh, how did your journaling go from last week? Uh, yeah, the um, the homework. So a week late, but no, I can I can report. I am fully up to date. I am journaling daily and getting all the benefits from that that one might expect, or I might expect, because as we've discussed, it's it's a really important part of my routine. And when I when I lose it, um, it has knock on effects. So I'm journaling. I'm meditating again. Um, um. <laughs> I don't do any of that. It was far too complicated. Um, I use an app actually. I use Calm. I don't know if you've come across that one. I have actually subscribed to it because I know you're such a big fan of it. I use one one percent of its power. I think there's a huge amount of stuff in there, but I just use the daily, the daily Calm, which is a sort of ten minute meditation. Oh, the one where they don't actually filter off Tamara, whatever her name is, her uh, voice. So she has all the clicks in there as a, as a fussy editor. Oh my gosh, dude. <laughs> Hi, I'm Tamara Lovett. I want to handle their, their audio just for a couple of days. Uh, which is probably not far away from you. I have a feeling she's Canadian. Oh, is she? She's, okay. She's maybe sitting, she's maybe sitting two doors down, just recording on a, on a dodgy mic. Doing it in garage band with no filters. That, that's probably what's happening. If you're a hippie into meditation in Vancouver, you're over on the island, so you're even further away from me than Vancouver. Oh, right. Okay. Well, I, that's where they all seem to uh, go to as communities out there. Then again, from moving up here, you know, I went for a walk and was talking to one of my neighbors. Uh, she was explaining to me that, oh, she'd love to introduce me to her husband, but he was out hunting. Mm. And, you know, me as the uh, vegetarian kind of went, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm feeling a little out of my depth here. <laughs> so you're not going to take up hunting, you don't think? Not not this week, at least. Uh, no, people maybe, because, um, you know, they deserve it sometimes. But um, no, I, I'm just weird. I, I'm feeling extremely like a hippie out here because, you know, it's uh, it's a little different than what I'm used to. It's kind of cool, too. Absolutely. Change is as good as a rest. And the other thing I was going to mention, it's not really follow-up, but um, there's an Apple event, Justin. I know. I know. Are you excited? Well, yes and no. Yes, because it's an Apple event, that'd be great. And no, because of my recent trials and tribulations in getting hold of Apple Kit. <laughs> it's sort of... I saw your post on that, yes. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I used to have a sort of reasonable working system before brexit because claire sends sends me stuff from the uk for the stationary business so i you know, stationary for me to review and that had become a real lifeline so you know it was at the stage margaret was almost grocery shopping in the uk and having it delivered you know it was, it was getting crazy but then once brexit kicked in anything that comes in from the uk they um they assess it for duty and they use, um, they've got a very high tech system. I think it's a dart board mm. and they throw six darts at the board, add up the numbers and that's how many euros you have to pay. And if you dispute it, uh, they say, okay, well, we'll just keep it then. Oh, um, well, can you show me the workings? No. That's what it is. So why is it 272? Because it is. <laughs> right. Good. Excellent. Uh, cash. Okay. So, so because of that, you know, I, in the past I've, I've bought Apple kit, you know, uh, laptops and stuff. And when Claris just sent it out to me, uh, it's been, been no problem at all, but now I have to actually go to an Apple reseller because we don't have an Apple store. Yeah. Uh, and the Apple reseller is right at the bottom of the queue when it comes to getting any stock. So when, when we went to people who haven't read the post, when we went to order the uh, phones, cause we decided we were going to upgrade our phones. I literally said, can I buy a phone? He's like, no. Said, what, what, what? what do you mean, no? He said, well, you can pre-order one. Like, pre-order? They came out a couple of weeks ago. Not here, they haven't. Oh, good. So when are they coming? I don't know. Oh, great. Okay, so uh, we've got a pre-order in, and then uh, I had the same experience with the iPad Mini, so we've got a pre-order in for one of those at a different store. When's that coming? I don't know. 
Uh, so <laughs> if there is something at this event, they go, I must have that. Then I'm probably gonna have to wait six months till I can get anywhere near it. But there you go. Mm-hmm. What about you? What are you feeling about the Apple event? Is, is there, is, oh, there's going to be something right in the, in the Justin wheelhouse in this event, I think. We will see. You know what? I'm really happy with my setup at the moment. Uh, the two computers that I use, context switching back and forth. I, I did something crazy, though, Stu, uh, because of the Apple event. I upgraded my podcast, my audio production machine, to to Big Sur. Big Sur, you wild child, you. I, I know. But I figured if I don't do it now, then I run this risk of having to go straight to uh, the next one. Uh, and, mm. uh, you know, I, I hate to say it. If you run a podcast or audio or video, you never want to be on the bleeding edge of technology and put the point releases on mm-hmm. because you're going to break something. Uh, some of the software that I use still to this day won't run on m1 max mm-hmm. and that's problematic uh, your anti-fridge software that i use to uh, yeah but surely that will change because well soon there will be only m1 max won't there or m1x or m2 i'm, I'm sure there will we'll see what uh, comes out of that uh, no i'm really comfortable with my setup i don't find i'm lacking for power or storage or anything like that. I just got to be, there's a couple of things I got to be careful about. Uh, disk space is sort of the big one. Never buy devices that have different size hard drives on them. Mm. Because as soon as you use Apple Cloud, it thinks you just want to fill everything up. Mm, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I commend you on that most logical, sensible, and excellent answer. Uh, and still prepared to bet large sum of money. I have a 16-inch laptop by, by your end. Oh, I'm not going to put money against me either, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) yes, it's, uh, I'm, I'm really interested to see what the the benchmarks are going to be. Cause I think those, I mean, they've called it unleashed the event. (laughs) So I suspect the numbers are going to be jaw dropping for the very small sort of percentile of people like us who who, who care about these things. Oh yeah. Um, it's just going to be incredible, but I'm not in the, the market for a laptop. Um, laptop is going to be very much a reserve machine for me that, you know, I use when I'm traveling or whatever, and I'm delighted with the air. The problem for me will come next year when, first of all, they're going to, I believe, release very colorful MacBook Airs, and I'm going to look at that very sort of covetously, and uh, the I think there will be a Mac, an iMac Pro. I'm not particularly interested in a Mac Pro. I have no need for one. but an iMac with a with an M1 or sorry an M2 chip in it and a big 30 inch screen that's going to be quite an attractive thing for me yeah I could see why uh, I've got to be honest with you using the laptops and the 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 big silly expensive screen that I treated myself to mm. um the laptops don't move around the house anymore. I just want to sit at this gorgeous screen and look at it. Yeah, it is so nice to have that real estate uh, one, and it's Apple. You know, I, I love Apple because I have one cable that comes from my monitor to my laptop. It charges my laptop and connects everything. And it's like, wow, it's it's just so beautiful. You know, rather than having dongles and adapters to get into HDMI and, you know, different resolutions that aren't quite true to Apple's resolution. It's just, it's just lovely. Sure. You just got to be careful. Be careful with that battery in the, in the laptop. That would be my, because that's what I had the bulging battery thing Mm -hmm. because I was using my, my, my laptop. I never took it out of clamshell. I was just using it as a desktop. Yeah. Uh, And that's quite bad for batteries. You've got to be disciplined which i'm sure you are um i i I got disciplined too late (laughs) (laughs) i'm not too worried about it Uh, i use so only one of the laptops is always plugged in at a time i've got a little stand so one's on top of the other Mm -hmm. the intel macbook whenever i run that has to be open because of the amount of heat that it runs and generates Mm -hmm. otherwise i think it's definitely going to run into that problem Mm -hmm. i think clamshell is sort of the problem yeah the m1 mac well that 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 runs so 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 cold Hmm. you don't need to do anything for it i can run that in clamshell but sure Uh, we will see i I mean i still like new and exciting and 
pointless stuff. You know, I, my, my last Mac was fine. I didn't need any of these new two, but uh, it, it is what it is. It's cool. Sure. We will see. And I'm sure I'll be chatting to you on Monday about it. I, I dare say there will be a, a text uh, chat as we watch it. I'm going to make sure I get the fast download this time so that I'm not one minute behind you. Yeah, no kidding. I can't, I can't cope with that. I put a point in the show note, and it's a very interesting one that I just found this morning, actually. It's not really follow-up, but it's an interesting point that I wanted to share. Uh, it's from Austin Kleins, uh, Kleins, however you say his uh, last name. Cleon. Cleon, Cleon. that's it. Um, I have one of those mornings, uh, the steel, like an artist guy, mm -hmm. um, he has a great little weekly email that comes out. Uh, he shared a medium post, which links are in the show notes. That is a really interesting thing. It's somebody has written a script so that you can see your writing as punctuation only. And so you, you put in a slab of text into a little website just the punctuation.glitch.me. Uh, again, the website uh, will be in the show notes. And you can see whatever you write in terms of just punctuation. So if you're looking at what you're writing and it's a series of commas or a series of dashes or a series of parenthetical statements, because that's what you see, really gives you an idea visually of what your tone for any piece is. And I thought I had to put this in for you, Stu, because I know you're, you're writing Sean at the moment. And I thought this would be an absolute wonderful thing to compare your tone across the different chapters and sections and really get an idea of what your writing looks like for that. Are you, are you writing something that's a little bit more action-oriented and dramatic? You want to see your punctuation change rather than just, you know, the standard. Really, really interesting. So I put it in there for you. And if anybody else is interested in it, it's just a really, really neat thing to see. Yeah, I um I had a little look at it this afternoon and the article at least and read through and some of the he's done some sampling already of uh some famous writers, you know, Hemingway and Ian e. Forster and stuff. And I was like, wow, this this looks really, really interesting in a very sort of geeky way. But the other thing is that you can uh, the way that he's formatted it, so the the colors and stuff that he's used, you can actually print it out and make yourself a little poster if you want. It's very oh, cool. uh, the Sean <laughs> poster. This will be the uh, the the supporter extra. <laughs> I'll be interested to have a look and see uh, and see how it works um, and how it compares to to sort of people who I'm not I'm not aping. I don't think, but people who who've influenced the way that I write. Um, I think it'd be really interesting. So I will have a play with that. There's, a, there's another afternoon gone. Oh, sorry, Stu. <laughs> yeah. okay. I, I loved it. I thought it was fun. Um, the one thing I did uh, freak myself out a little bit was I threw one of my writings in there that, of course, is in Markdown. And what do you have in Markdown? Uh, a bunch of odd symbols, yeah. uh, which sort of certainly threw it off visually. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'll have to figure out a way to do that of just uh, plain text. And I think it really does show a, a very good tone of what your what your mood is any any given passage. Sure, yeah, it's fantastic. Alrighty then, so let's get on. What's your tool of the week, Justin? You know, I I scheduled a night off this week. Yeah. A night off where I pushed, I had a whole bunch of things that I wanted to do on my little analog card. You know, I'm still setting up the house as, you know, you move into somebody else's house too. And man, there's a lot of little things that need fixing. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, you, you don't really think about that until you're actually here. You know, when it's your own house, you kind of know what's broken and you know that if I kick this three times, it'll close properly. Uh, when you go into somebody else's house, that becomes a little bit more annoying. So I'm still trying to do a lot of chores every day and unpack boxes and all that stuff. And I just decided to take a night off. I pushed everything away that I was supposed to do. Fantastic. And I didn't feel guilty about it. I, I made a decision just to relax. And what did you do for that night off? I, I enjoyed a nice bourbon and just chilled. I watched a little bit of TV. I just sat, listened to some music. It was lovely. So I do recommend anybody to take a moment to think about that and schedule a little bit of me time. Uh, it's, it's lovely and just what I needed. 
Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's a great thing to do. And uh, again, it's, it's, it's something about podcast buddies, but um, I find myself with TJ, he will say something. I go, wow, I did that. And you've just done it to me. Because this, this very day today as we record, uh, I, I cancelled work. I just said, no, okay, I'm not going to do any work today. I'm just going to focus on little things that have been bugging me or things I want to get done. I, you know, a little bit of self-care, a, a day for me. Yeah, it's fantastic the, the effect it has on you just to, to you know, re replenish the energy a little bit. It's something that we overlook so, so much, you know, and, and as managers as well in our businesses, I think it's something that we should really think about too. You know, do people have to have a, a note to justify why you're away from your doctor? Yeah, a mental health day is so refreshing. You know, maybe that's something that we can look at for our staff, you know, give them a day off when they need it. If you're feeling overwhelmed, take that day. It's okay. We'll deal with it. Absolutely. And come back refreshed. Uh, you know, we, we don't in at least corporate America, corporate jobby jobs out here. That is very much frowned upon. You, you only take a day when you're sick and you know, you, you come into work no matter how stuffy you are and all that good stuff. That part of why COVID numbers went a little crazy. Sure. I, I think looking at mental health as a you know, mental health and just needing a day off to get your head straight and relax and unwind, I think is such a beautiful thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's obviously dependent on the business that you have and the team size and all that. I mean, it gets harder and harder to, to organize in certain industries, but certainly the work that I do and the people that I work with, um, you know, there's always the ability for someone else to pick it up. Uh, I've, I've never if, if your business is likely to collapse because you take a day off, then there's probably something fundamentally wrong with the, with the business. Now, obviously if you're a one man band running a coffee shop, I appreciate it's different, but you know, we, we used to agonize about Nero's because I'm here, which means that I can do anything for the business, but I can't do fulfillment that's done in the UK, which is where all the stock is. Um, and so we used to worry about Claire taking time off for, you know, go on, on, on holiday even, or oh, how are we going to cover it? Should we get someone in? And we do, we have, we have some, uh, some young folk, um, who, who Claire knows, you know, friends of friends of Claire's essentially, um, who come in and, and help out. But actually we discovered that customers were really relaxed about it. And, and what we actually needed to do was write a blog post saying Claire's not around. So by all means buy, but it's not going to get posted until Thursday uh, and customers would go, okay. Fine with me. No big deal. Yeah. As long as, as long as you communicate. And so that's what we do now. Um, you know, if Claire's going away for a couple of weeks, then we will have covering. But if she calls me and says, listen, I need to do a thing on, you know, Friday or cool, just take the day. It's fine. Lovely. Um, and I, th I think, yeah, as you say, if you, if you can do that, you should do that because I do well, something I wrote in my journal today, uh, was. Uh, refocus on your health because if you don't have your health, you haven't got anything. Uh, yeah, I know all about that at the moment. Uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, uh, you know, that's uh, that's kind of where I'm heading now. Cool. So, what's your tool of the week, Stu? Uh, well, mine mine is Things, the app Things, the To Do app, I suppose. Um, uh, well, I wrote in the show note uh, in another classic Stu is overwhelmed symptom. I started making eyes at, at other task management apps and, and <laughs> calendars. And so I guess like many people listening to this, this podcast, I've probably used them all, you know, thousands of, you know, from Wonderlist uh, all the way through to, to OmniFocus. And I was, uh, I was on my, I think it was my phone I was looking at and I sort of came across the icon for, for Moleskine and the actions. Ooh. and time page. I don't know if you've ever used those. I haven't. No. Well, time page is a very pretty calendar app. It's lovely. It doesn't have a great sort of month view, but in terms of your sort of next few days, uh, it's really nice. And it's the sort of thing you put on your phone and go, this is really, look, I can really enjoy this. 
and actions is a sort of card based task manager and it links very well with time page. So I was really into that for a little while. And then they came out with a thing called journey, uh, Moleskine journey, which I thought was a sort of companion for actions and time page, but it kind of clashes with it. Um, and it's, it's a task manager with a journaling function sort of rolled into it as well. Oh, interesting. Very pretty. Okay. They've got, uh, they've got some European design teams, I think in Italy working on this and all three of the apps are very customizable in terms of color and how they work and mm, they're lovely. They're great. They're all subscription apps and I have absolutely no need for them. So I, I was, um, I was very disciplined and said, okay, I'll tell you what, if I'm using things every day and I'm back into the routine of managing my tasks properly and I decide I want to move great, but I'm not moving until I'm at that place where I'm actually using everything every, every day. And so I've started using things again and gone, actually, yeah, this is, this is a good app. Uh, works very, very well on, on Apple kit particularly. So my tool of the week is things. Cool. I'm impressed. You, you almost had me at Moleskin there. Um, yeah. And then I was thinking about their quality control in terms of their paper. <laughs> um, I, I, I love their moleskins, but oh my gosh, their paper is so hit and miss. Sure. You know, and I was thinking, oh my God, I wonder what their, what their iOS apps are like in terms of quality. Mm -hmm. Um, pretty though. I'm curious, do they work with Apple's computer systems or are they only iOS based? And they're only iOS based from memory. Okay. Um, they, there are web interfaces for uh, the Mac. I, I believe, I believe. Yeah. You lost me at a web interface. Um, is, do you use things on, on your computer as well? Yes. Or is that just on? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Things does have an app for Mac. Um, and uh, I like you, the, you know, the real big score for me is it needs to work on all of the, the devices. I, I can be seduced by, by iOS ones, but mm, it's kind of, um, I, want, I want a Mac app really. Yeah. At the end of the day, my workflow is predominantly Mac based for all my planning and all my execution. I, I'm not sure if I would use any of these, uh, except as a novelty on my iOS devices. Yeah. So that's just me, but you know, Hey, mm. I'm, I'm sort of privileged sitting in the Mac with a wonderful big screen and feeling, um, you know, very in love with Mac at the moment, e even, even big Sur on my production machine is touch wood going, not too bad. So I know I didn't just say that. Well, I mean, I did wait a, a whole year for it to get uh, <laughs> somewhat stable before I upgraded. I, I think it's, I think I'm safe. Yeah, well, um, I don't know what's, I don't want to turn into an Apple whinge again, but, uh, I don't know what's going on with my, um, I, I suppose it's my home network, mm. but you know, uh, home pods just keep dropping off it. So I'll literally be listening to a podcast on a home pod and they'll hear one drop off and then the other will drop off and then they'll come back and then the audio will have switched to the phone. I mean, it's just bizarre. I have no idea what's going on. Bluetooth. I don't know if it's Apple or whether it's, uh, just time to do a sort of, you know, factory reset of the, of the mesh network and start again. I don't know, but we'll see. I think the problem is Apple's Bluetooth and I don't want to whinge about it, but it is terrible. They've got into this idea that you should be able to switch to whatever device you happen to be in front of, but I'm just looking around and I have uh, two laptops and four home pods, an iPad, my phone. I've got my two sets of AirPods plus my AirPods Pro Max. All of those things are fighting for Bluetooth attention. And honestly, that's just sitting on my desk in my room here. I'm looking at that going, you know, there's no wonder it gets confused when this auto switching stuff wants to tell you okay don't go here go here go here i want to go here i want to go here sure you know i could be at my computer listening to something 
and I pick up my phone to answer a text or something like that that comes specifically to my phone, and all of a sudden, it's buzzing at me. Send this to your HomePod. It's like, no, you're already playing the podcast to my HomePods. Mm -hmm. But yes, it, it can be very frustrating. Mm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm having a time with it. I, I have thoughts. I have thoughts. Yes, yes. Let's, let's, let's lurch away from that. What is your pen and ink of the week? Oh, I'll try that again. What is your pen and ink of the week? Uh, the pen and ink of the week was last week when I dropped my Estabrook. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, this week, though, I have not dropped it. Touch wood. Uh, I have a, a Leonardo Memento Zero, which is an absolutely gorgeous pen. This one is a very, very limited edition. The Vancouver Pen Club, which I've been a member of for a number of years, uh, got together. They've got a connection that somebody, one of the members knows. Uh, I think his name's Salvatore, the guy that does uh, Leonardo. And he approached him and they made a very specific material and trim section for Vancouver Pen Club. It's inscribed with the Vancouver Pen Club on it. I think there was 23 or 25 of these made and that was it. Uh, and it's absolutely gorgeous. It's a uh, striated sort of uh, sandy color. It's absolutely gorgeous. And I filled that because, of course, you know, you kind of got that that beige color tone. I wanted something that went with that. I picked, again, probably inspired by you a couple of weeks ago, Stu, uh, the Diamine Gibson line. I picked the Tobacco Sunburst, which matches the color of my Les Paul. That's the... That's a colorway of my actual real guitar. So I, I had to go with that. I have the whole selection of the Diamond Gibson, but it's a wonderful uh, shading brown. Lovely, not too dark, not like the Mont Blanc. It's, it's just a, an absolutely beautiful ink that writes like a dream out of the pen. Lovely. Sounds gorgeous. Oh, it is. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? It, it's a cartridge converter, which means I'll actually get to use it and put it away again not like you yeah well yeah well i um i finally got through the lamy 2000 oh. and i got through the pelican wow. 205 so that they they have both been cleaned and put away it's a blend you see uh so i've still got my little coeco brass sport going there with this cartridge um yeah the knuckle duster as i call it and i uh, just throw it in front of the, tr the the car again and you'll be fine exactly and i have inked up um uh sort of the little brother of your twisby from last week which was the vac 700 i think yeah that's the one i had yeah i have inked up the twisby 580 al beautiful which is a piston fill rather than a um vac fill a vacuum filler yeah um and i filled it with a diamond so we're both in diamond blue black I was, I have to say, going to put in uh, some Mont Blanc JFK, but the level in the ink bottle has gone down to the extent that it won't fill this pen mm. um, because this one's got quite a high, you know, on the nib, it's quite a high vent. So um, I'm going to have to, I may have to sort of decant that JFK into something thinner so that I can get a bit more height on it. But anyway, the, the diamond blue black is lovely. I mean, diamond inks are so reliable and such good value. They're, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say they're cheap as chips, but they're, they're certainly at the lower end of the price scale. Um, but they're really, really good inks. They're made in Liverpool uh, in, in England. I just got the Diamine's Christmas uh, Advent Calendar. Have you seen that, Stu? I have indeed, yeah. Very good. Uh, so 25 inks for the month of December. That should be fun. Yeah, that's up. Uh, I mean, how much do you get? You just get a little sample of each, don't you? Is that five mil or something? Yeah, it's 12 mil, and then the final one, I think, oh. is 30 mil. Oh, well, that's pretty decent. That's not bad. It's, uh, it's a novelty thing. One of the things I like to do is there's a couple of craft breweries that do uh, like a a beer advent calendar. And if I can get my hands on those, I love to do that. Try a different beer every day mm -hmm. because you know, well, just me. Why not? 
the idea of doing that with ink just sounded like a lot of fun. And it's the first year I've been able to get my hands on one. Excellent. Well, I look forward to the reports. I've, I've never done it. Um, we thought about stocking it, but um, didn't in the end. We're a bit allergic to dated things at Nero's Notes. <laughs> I can understand why. Very cool. All right. What's our topic today, Stu? I think it's a good one for both of us. Oh, it's it's the the natural follow on from last week. So uh, this one is entitled "How to Have a Good Fight," mm-hmm. and the answer is not marry an Italian, although that does help. <laughs> you get lots of practice, I'm guessing. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm I'm honing my skills. I think. No, I think more more than anything, you've been told what to do, and you're just kind of saying, "Oh, it's not worth it." Great. <laughs> uh, this is again uh, "Think Again" by Adam Grant. Uh, now. I got to be honest with you, uh, I'm kind of mixed about this book, but damn, it has some good subject matter in there. If you can get past the sort of self-aggrandizement and the humble brags, and did you know he's a professor at Wharton? Uh, his, his style is a little jarring for me, and sometimes I've had to put the book down and walk away and come back to it. But wow, he's actually really got some good subject matter in here. And I do actually recommend the book with a grain of salt or a bottle of uh, something that you can use as a shooter. Because I think as soon as you get in there, it makes a really good drinking game. Oh, here we go. Boom. But it, it's really, it's really, really lovely. The, the quality of the thoughts that he puts out really getting me to mm. think again, which is kind of the whole idea of it. One of the things that really came up is how arguments have changed in the workplace over time. I'm assuming your experience is something like mine, Stu, that back in the 90s, uh, toe-to-toe yelling matches were not uncommon. I think might be a nice way to say that. Was was that your experience too, or is that just me? No, it was, um, uh, what do you think, during the 90s, thinking of the various roles I had. I mean, we, yeah, arguments were robust. They would get, um, I don't think, I, there were a couple that could have got physical, I think. <laughs> um, I certainly remember quite a lot of tears, um, you know, people being, you know, um, perhaps bullied uh, by today's standards. Uh, but yeah, it was it was loud and proud and, and people let rip at each other. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we grew up in that age, you know, we're of a certain age. I think now it's much better. Calm ahead should prevail. But I, I think, you know, one thing back then people had an argument, they go out for a drink after work and everything was good. There was nobody felt, at least I shouldn't say that. Hopefully nobody felt marginalized in those environments. Uh, you know, I was, I was younger, I was up and coming. There were less of those that I was in, but certainly the, the executives in the organization certainly had those, but you know, I, I think looking at it now with a different perspective, I could see that people that don't like conflict, uh, people that uh, could be marginalized probably felt that way. And so I'm glad that things have changed. Uh, we've grown as a society and I kind of really wanted to talk about how do we have a good fight today? How do we really champion our ideas in a way that brings the best of what we can offer to the table without destroying relationships or making f- people feel marginalized or bullied or a- anything like that? Because that is something that I think we've all become so much more aware of than, than we were 30 years ago. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I I agree with you that the the sort of we we've evolved somewhat. I have some concerns about that evolution and and where I think it may have gone too far. But we'll we'll probably come to those later. Uh-huh. For me, the the thing that I think is most important in in fostering conflict. Because I'm a big believer in conflict. I think it's it, it's a great thing to have in a relationship whether that be at work or, or at home, you need conflict, I think, but it's, um, it's trust. Yeah. So you, you need to be particularly the, I, I think the real challenge is that a work that tends to be a power dynamic at play as well. And so, uh, if you're the boss, then the approach that you take to arguing 
needs to be, I think, different than if you're a subordinate because obviously I can talk down to a subordinate. I can bark as much as I want. They, they will probably feel constrained from doing that to me. So they, you know, that that's kind of not fair. Um, there, there needs to be a level of trust between the individuals, the people in that room. And I think part of that is, is in setting ground rules as, as a, as a leader and saying, look, let's kick this around. Come on, fight your corner. I'm not going to take offense. You know, let's perhaps stay away from personal insults and bad language, but you know, fight your corner. Tell, tell me why we should do this. And you over there, you tell me why we shouldn't and, and try and sort of act almost as a referee, I think in the first instance, so that you can build that relationship with those people so that they feel comfortable sort of letting rip to a certain extent. And then you can, as a boss, I think you can probably begin to relax a little yourself, but in the, in the first stages, you've got to build that trust amongst the colleagues that, okay, we are going to rip into this task, this problem, this issue. And we are going to look at every single side of that argument. And, and the way that we're going to do that is that you are going to tell me what you think and you're going to tell me why he's wrong. And, you know, we're going to kick it around, kick it. That trust, without that trust, then you get, I, I see it quite a lot now, particularly with, you know, the whole sort of work environment being remote working is that there's so much passive aggression knocking about. And if you don't know what that is, just Google it, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, and there's where I work, there's a lot of meetings that happen on Zoom, but there's also uh, some very busy Teams channels, often simultaneously. So there'll be a Teams channel discussing what's happening in the Zoom channel. And there's a lot more honesty in the Teams one than there is in the Zoom. Let's put it that way. So Big Boss is making a presentation in Zoom. The minions are growling and grumbling in Teams. And then the really seditious ones are in a WhatsApp group. Um, because, because that one's not controlled by the business. Yeah. End-to-end yeah. -end encrypted. And uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I'm looking at that thinking, okay, this is, this is really wrong. We need to get all of that discussion into one channel and people need to feel comfortable doing it. And it's really difficult to achieve that, you know, remote working. Definitely. But I, I think that's going to be the huge challenge of remote working is, is how to get that, uh, what do they call it? Esprit de corps, um, that, that team element, because teams is terrible for teams. That's, that's not what it does. And how you build that trust, I think is going to be the management challenge of our time. How do you get these people to work together when, you know, are you going to challenge your boss on a Zoom call? Or on a Microsoft Teams call? Ooh, that's, that, that's, I think, where the problem is going to be. Yeah, especially the bigger the audience, right? To everybody, all the bobbing heads sitting there watching, it, it becomes a very difficult yeah. way to do that. Yeah, and of course, you know, that's probably not the time and the place. So then that all becomes about communication. So, you know, you, you as an employee, you need to know the expectation. I, am I supposed to sit here and just not, <laughs> or am I supposed to challenge things and say, well, hang on, that's not my experience. And, you know, in, in the correct manner and, and very politely and all of those things. And, you know, as we were discussing the other day, um, you know, go Google it, that, that was just a communication issue. So the manager wanted to quickly deliver some, some information and we were supposed to take that on board and go away with it. Uh, and somebody misinterpreted it and thought he was, you know, that this was a more exploratory conversation. And that's because it hadn't been communicated to him that that's not what was happening. So I think it is a, it is a really difficult thing to get right. Um, and to a certain extent, uh, it takes time to achieve that sort of atmosphere. But I found when I was managing sort of in the noughties, let's say, I found that I had to, to actually con not constantly, but specifically focus on, on building that atmosphere and building people up and saying to look, come and argue with me. 
tell me why I'm wrong. Tell me why I'm wrong. That's what I want from you. I don't want you to sit there and nod. I know I'm right. I want you to tell me that I'm not. Um, and you know, just, just build that up. And it took, it took a real effort. And if you don't have that, if your boss isn't doing that, then it's very difficult to know whether, whether they want conflict or not. Definitely. And I think, you know, get ground rules are really a key part to this. One of the ways that, uh, Mr. Grant, Professor Grant, I'm sure is, uh, is the honorific he likes. Is he the Grant of Wharton? I believe it or not. Yes, he is. Uh, anyway, uh, he, he brought this down to talking about the difference between task conflicts mm -hmm. versus relationship conflicts. And, you know, this is something that we know intuitively. It is exactly as you said, you know, you're, you're arguing about the business. You're arguing about the idea in terms of its merits, not in terms of who delivered it or how it was delivered. And to really come up with communication that focus on a tax conflict and stays away from relationship conflicts and set that groundwork within a team, I think is really, really good. A task conflict, basically you're passionately arguing for a particular thing. You're focused on the task, the idea, the discussion point, and it's generally a good thing. A relationship conflict is your idea sucks. Your tie is ugly. Go away. You then take it personal. And it's really, really hard to do when people are passionate. And this is something that I think is very, very important. You know, we've, we've been on Teams meetings and Skype and, you know, whatever else do that there is always, and it's probably us, the, the person that jumps in with both feet and champions their own part. How many people do we silence by doing that though? I, I think that's something that we need to be very, very conscious about, you know, especially for leaders, we've got to make sure that we don't lead with our ideas because the, the power dynamics can quickly take it from a task conflict into a relationship conflict. Relationship conflicts, they, they become personal. They're harmful to workplaces. They're. I think one of the biggest problems with the, with the relationship is that people become emotionally invested with their ideas. So if you're arguing against a task, they feel that you may be attacking their idea and they may feel challenged by that and they may take that personally. And that's where, th that's where an argument can, can slip into a very, very negative territory really quickly. So it's, a, it's an interesting idea, particularly with the knowledge that we have these days, you know, that, that people are valuable and people do, do feel marginalized. They do feel uh, attacked personally by something that shouldn't be that way, but comes across that way. Perception is a, is a big thing for that. How do we have a task conflict without getting it there. Adam Grant has a couple of ideas of just how quickly this goes awry. The one that I thought particularly was uh, you're at home. One question, what should we eat tonight? Mm -hmm. I don't care. You choose. Uh, you always do this to me. All of a sudden that's, that's taken a task. What should we eat tonight to, you know, you always do this. You, you statements. It, it's gone into that relationship conflict. I'm not sure there's an easy answer, but I certainly think been aware of that and thinking about it is something that will help us. I think, you know, we, we become emotionally attached to our position and that automatically becomes dismissive of the other sides. We, we barricade ourselves around our ideas. We argue, we justify, we cajole, we, we convince, we know we're right. And I think think that's, that's kind of the point of what I wanted to get to here is trying to look at this in terms of rethinking our perspectives in terms of, can we facilitate an argument in a way that brings out everybody's best ideas and keeps it away from that personal side? Yeah. I mean, this is where I get nervous because, oh, first of all, the answer to what should we eat tonight 
should always be lobster or duck. Um, you'll, you'll, you'll rarely get lobster or duck, unfortunately. But the minute I say that, my wife then comes back and goes, duck. I go, yeah, I'll fancy a bit of duck. She goes, oh, no, I don't want that. I want, boom. And then we get to actually what she wants, which is, you know, kind of where the whole thing was always going. But I managed to get there without <laughs> annoying her by saying, I don't care, you choose. Um, so they, they, that's a free tip, ladies and gentlemen, take that one away with you. But, uh, you know, w- within a business, if you're, if you're leading that business or that division or that department, whatever it might be, then part of your role undoubtedly is the development of the people that work for you. And there will be, there will be relationship issues. There will be people with whom you have relationship conflicts because you're a person and they're a person and people just have a tendency of having conflicts. And it might be that I find a person objectionable because of the way that they treat, I don't know, the women in the team, right? And it's not necessarily something specific that I could say, oh, hang on, you, you know, you're being explicitly sexist and therefore I can act, but it's something that I'm aware of in the way that they are interacting, you know, that sort of gray area that's very difficult to sort of pin down. Well, the, the way I deal with that is conflict and it is relationship conflict and it is personal. And, um, you've got to be, as you say, very, very careful with that so that you, you know, don't in fact make things worse, but you have to deal with it. And, you know, my, my role is to make that person understand that what they're doing is wrong and why it's wrong. And it's making them a lesser, uh, manager or employee or, you know, whatever role they're, they're in. And I can't go away from that responsibility. I can't shirk it and I can't abdicate responsibility for it. I'm, I'm the boss. So I agree that relationship conflict is tricky, but I think it's inevitable. And I think getting good at it, um, makes you a better leader because I look at some of the relationships that I've uh, had in business. And some of the strongest ones have come with people that I didn't like, <laughs> at least initially. People who, you know, there, there was, I suppose, what do you call it, a character clash, um, which it tends to be ego, yep. particularly if there's men involved. But working through that, not avoiding it, there are lots of conflict avoiders. I know lots and lots of people who will do anything to avoid conflict. And I know people who are very confrontational and will, will seek conflict. Now those two ends of the spectrum as, as with most spectrum or spectra, is it spectra? I think it is as with most spectra being at the end is not good and being at one end or the other, it doesn't matter which neither is good. You want to be somewhere in the middle if you want to be an effective leader and when conflict comes up or arises, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, well, rarely should you walk away from it, um, and just avoid it. There are times when avoiding conflict is the right action, but it's rare more often than not. You need to look at, uh, how best to manage that conflict. And there are, there are models on this, there are training models, um, that I've used, uh, because, uh, if you, when, when I was running a training company. Uh, you do a conflict management course, you, you get lots of signups. Pe- people really struggle with this. And a lot of it is conflict avoidance. So if somebody is behaving like, uh, let's use a technical term, a dick, then the manager needs to, to, you know, take hold of that. And that's going to involve some conflict. That's going to involve sitting the person down and saying, you're acting like a dick. <laughs> we need to find a way to move on from this. And, you know, you, you, you can't deal with it by, by walking away. And we all know people that do it. We know people that, that just really don't like conflict. And I'm, I'm not confrontational, believe it or not, in, in my management style, I tend to be very cooperative. Cool. So my, my sort of personality type, if you do all the tests and stuff, so I'm a resource investigator. So I'm pretty good at getting other people involved in a project and get get things out of them and i cooperate i very rarely do i uh, direct but at the same time as i went higher up the org chart 
and the business changed and the decisions changed, I became more directive. And that was reflected in all of my personality scores, you know, Belbin tests, all of those things. Because you do become to reflect your role to a certain extent. And if you're at the top of the org chart, people will sometimes come to you because they want a decision. They're not that bothered which decision, they just want one. Either yes, I do this or no, I don't. Uh, give me clarity. So, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. And I think relationship conflict is very difficult, but it is, I think, essential. You, I, I'm not sure that you can, you can run a business or a department with it without it. You're, well, you're very lucky if, if you do get a bunch of people who, where there is no sort of clashing like that. I mean, do you have that in your business? Do you have people that just, you know, sort of rub up against each other and go, yeah, I think any, any business does the more, the concept that I was trying to get across is yeah, you know, we, people are people you're going to have those issues as a manager, you have to deal with it, but sort of setting the ground rules to get away from those, mm-hmm. you, you know, there, there's always a people that if you say black, they're going to say white just because they don't like you and they don't agree with anything that you do. Sure. But I think trying to set the ground rules for communication to get people away from the personal issues, to frame things, to frame arguments in terms of let's focus on the task. Let's, you know, if you're, if you're getting personal, well, this, you know, and, and again, in bigger organizations where people are looking for their next job, this becomes, I think, more of an issue. But if you're, if you can do this and get diverse people with diverse ideas, focusing very much on tasks rather than the behaviors, the, the personality side of it, the relationships, the, you know, you, you don't, you don't have a good idea because in this last case, you didn't have a good idea or I've proved you wrong before, mm. or you embarrassed me the last time because you shut down my idea. And I took that personally. If we can foster a discussion that is very much task-based and take out the personal identification with an idea, this idea is me and, and use an idea to collaboratively come up with a better thing. I'm thinking of Stephen Covey, uh, where one plus one does not equal two, one plus one equals three or higher. Because taking different ideas, two different ideas, and merging those ideas together and coming up with something collaboratively can lead to a lot better idea. You know, but again, it depends what you're trying to do. Are you just trying to uh, be a director and, and give a decision? This is my decision. There you go. Are you then having to argue what that decision is, which, you know, runs into problems like your, your leadership the other day where they. Sure they had a point to make and they couldn't be taken off that in order to focus on the task. What is a task? Well, the task is explaining what this new term you've interjected is. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's, there's a lot of sort of middle ground in there. And the idea that if we can get to this point that we are focused on tasks rather than the personality side, I, I think it's, I think it's a strong idea and I really like the idea. What, uh, Mr. Grant says, Professor Grant, because, you know, Warden, all that. What he's got is what works in an argument is not perspective taking. Because, you know, sometimes what he means by this is if you're trying to win an argument, you will take the other side's perspective just so you can reframe your argument to destroy their ideas, you know, in a, in a very negative way. Mm-hmm. But perspective seeking is trying to learn not just what their idea is, but why their idea is. And if you can get a group of people coming together, honestly questioning and understanding, not just your idea is white versus my black, but why is it white to you? What is, what is the process that gets you to white? And then all of a sudden that helps, I think, come up to a better fight in terms of what the task is and, and leave that relationship out of it because you can, you can separate those two. 
it's it's an idea and i'm I'm really kind of interested in this it's uh it's a very very good idea for you know the the varied levels of people that we have in any organization from shy to outgoing to arguments to people that are uh, avoiding of of criticism and of of conflict i, I think this is something that i th- that that is very strong in terms of an argument and avoiding as much as you can that relationship problem yeah i mean i think there's there's a lot of wisdom in what you say because um one of the most powerful things you can do as a leader is say okay talk me through it just those simple words of okay you believe this whatever that might be talk me through it as you say how did you get there um because it it empowers that person. Um, it shows a level of respect that you're listening to them. Uh, it may well be if it, if it's you or me sitting there grumpy, grumpy old man going, right, this is nonsense, but, but hopefully we can get the person to discover that it's nonsense themselves. And then they start talking, talking it through one of two things will happen. One, they'll discover it's nonsense and go, oh, actually, I'm not quite sure about this anymore. Or two you'll realize that it's not nonsense entirely and that actually there's something important in there that you didn't consider or didn't know. Um, and that's, that's about, as we were saying before, it's about that communication. All conflict comes down to communication at the end of the day, either a lack of it <laughs> or, or none of it. And I think you, you're right. That ability to sort of focus on the task is good. I think we, we, we need to do another episode on this because I need to show you the task relationship graph. And, you know, there are, there are some things where the task is everything, um, particularly in your line of work, you know, that you have to produce a set of numbers that, that work, (laughs) there is an output that must be right. And so it's very task driven and all of the finance people that I've worked with have been very, very, very task driven. And then there's other stuff other elements of business, um, dare I say it, sales, where relationship is very important because, you know, your salespeople need to be confident. If they're not confident, they won't sell. And so you need to find a way of making them confident. And relationship then becomes very important in, insofar as you, in some instances, you sacrifice task for relationship because you want to build that person up for, you know, future results rather than the current result as it were. And you're right. It's a, it's a fascinating subject because, uh, companies are weird things. You get a whole bunch of people together and the aim is to make lots more money. It's, it's just a weird setup when you think about hmm, Is that how you would do it? No, you wouldn't really, <laughs> but I, I really enjoyed that element and, uh, the business that, that, you know, I, I worked in for the longest, the, the one that I, I co-owned my co-founder, very driven, very task oriented. Um, and I, th- I think we used to say had the people skills of a pumpkin. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm much more at the other end where, you know, if left to my own devices, then we're going to have a really happy company, which is not going to make any money. And, and so together we, we made, uh, we made a very, very strong team and we soon we soon learn how to, you know, harness each other's skills. And, you know, he, he's a complete finisher, but, um, so he, he would have, you know, if he decided to write a book, he would have finished it and published it by now. Mm. I would argue, I don't think it'd be very good. Um, and, <laughs> and I will, you know, I've got, I don't know, 20 un, unfinished books and it's, it's getting that balance. If you can get that balance in one person, then. You know, you have Jeff Bezos, you've got some super, super top, top line manager, but often in teams, you don't need that. You just need a blend of the right people and you need rules to communicate as you just described so that, that people can attack ideas, can attack, um, uh, thought processes or, um, procedures that they think are wrong without people. I say feeling you, you've attacked my idea, you've attacked my department, therefore you're attacking me, which is a, is a human thing to do, but is not helpful as you say, because it then becomes a slanging match. Cool. Definitely. I think this is going to be a part one of two or more. Um, I, I just put a show note in there that we'll have a future 
topic, going a little bit deeper on relationships, because I think this is such a fascinating discussion. But as for today, Stu, any takeaways for you? Uh, yeah, the, the takeaway for me, I think, is, is that the point of conflict is not to win. The point is to learn. Ooh. Yes, definitely. Uh, you know, and that's actually funny because that really dovetails into mine. I was thinking, uh, Stephen Covey was on my mind. I mentioned him earlier. Uh, his seven habits of highly effective people, which I think what was that late eighties, early nineties that came out to mm -hmm. Yep. Habit five, seek first to understand, then be understood. Mm. It's really what we just said. You know, all of, all of that is, is something that is presented in a different way with our current frame of mind. But he still makes sense all these years later. Seek first to understand and then be understood. Yep, for sure. The great way to have a good argument. All right. Where can people find you on the internet, Stu? Uh, well, you can find me at stuartlennon.com or at nerosnotes.co.uk uh, or on the Twitters at Stu Lennon. What about you, Justin? Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me justintwyfer.com. Writeexperience.com is my stationary blog that is sorely missing an upgrade, but hey, I just moved and I'm preparing for winter. I've got an excuse. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter, JJ Twyford. If you have any comments, questions, or general complaints, well, complaints, you can send those to yourself, but uh, no, send them to stationaryadjacent at gmail.com. Please like and review us on your podcast catch of choice. We really do appreciate your recommendation to friends and colleagues that you feel might get something from our show and our discussion. Our next topic is going to be negotiation. Until then, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, us.